This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Europe's parliament has passed a sweeping copyright law that could have a major impact on big tech companies. Companies like Facebook, Google, Twitter, and others would be required to sign licensing agreements with musicians, authors, and news publishers in order to post their content. They would also become legally responsible for copyright infringements by their users, something that they have fought hard against. Internet tech giants were the only, weren't, weren't the only ones protesting this move. Academics and Internet freedom advocates joined them as well. So what does this new law mean? With more, we're joined on the phone by Polk Wagner, law professor here at the University of Pennsylvania, and also by Stephen Wilt, who's a professor of global commerce at the University of Connecticut Law School. Polk, Stephen, great to have you with us today. Thank you very much for your time. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Always good to be here. Thank you. So, Polk, how do you police and enforce these new rules? I guess the content producers are going to be responsible for some of this? Well, so you, you, know, you sort of jumped right into what I think is one of the major questions surrounding this new legislation, which is how exactly is this going to happen? And I think a lot of the, the concern and consternation surrounding these changes is – you know, an uncertainty about exactly what content uh, platform owners, um, content creators, and and users are actually going to have to do. You know, it could range from very little, um, uh, as opposed to what what happens now, to a much more extensive process of, of, you know, almost pre-screening any material you put online to make sure it doesn't uh, infringe anybody's copyright. So, I mean, that's sort of the, the the overall range. Where we fall within that spectrum, I think, is is re- very much um, open to uh, a lot of debate, a lot of question, and a lot is going to depend on the actual details that the member states uh, use when they they implement it. In theory, the idea is that the um, the European Union is attempting to require um, content providers to provide more assurances to uh, copyright owners um, that the that the material that's being um, shared on their networks and on their platforms um, is uh, compliant with copyright law, um, and that's that's sort of the underlying theory. And of course, the the difficulty is how exactly do you do that without um, sort of uh, creating uh, a lot of difficulty for either the content providers or the the users of content altogether. Stephen. I, I agree. I think this is a, a very open architecture um, directive so that we really don't know precisely how it will be uh, affected in reality. Uh, one, one question we, we have at the very beginning is, um, is how much liability uh, might be uh, faced by, by some of the large uh, platforms like Facebook or, or YouTube. We don't, we don't really know that um, from the get-go. Uh, we've had, they've had, um, to a large extent, uh, immunity uh, from via various safe harbors, and and now suddenly there's going to be liability. So how that liability will play itself out, we don't know. How quickly um, uh, that liability will be imposed, how massive that liability will be, all of that will determine the kind of technological, legal, institutional, business solutions uh, that are going to be faced. Um, and so even from the very point of, of what they need to do um, uh, in the beginning, the, the, the legal liability, that's completely unclear. 
844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. So, Polk, if you can kind of put this in perspective, I mean, obviously we have talked with you in the past about the rules surrounding copyright here in the United States, but how different had the rules been in the European Union in those countries prior to this, uh, to this ruling? Well, I don't know what, uh, you know, the, obviously every member state in the European Union has slightly different rules. In general, um, the, the rules were not all that dissimilar from um, the provision of the rules uh, in, uh, in the U.S., which is basically that um, content providers, platform providers like YouTube or Twitter or Facebook um, or even Internet service providers like Comcast or, or others like that, um, can uh, avail themselves, which is generally known as a safe harbor. They can protect themselves from claims of copyright infringement if, upon being notified of infringing material, they take active steps to remove it and that they don't uh, knowingly allow um, their users to upload, uh, obviously, infringing material. So, obviously, there's a lot of dispute about, around the corners of that. There's been a, a fair amount of litigation. But in general, in the U.S. Um, and until you know now in Europe, there was this this idea that content owners, the the owners of the the content platforms, um, or uh, yeah, the platform owners were uh, by and large, as long as they took steps to remove things after they realized it was infringing, were were relatively safe from being sued for copyright infringement, and that they didn't have to sort of as you click upload or as you try to submit a a status update on Facebook or on Twitter, right. they didn't have to actually pre-clear that before allowing it to be shown on their platform, right? So what what might change now, um, depending, again, on the details of the implementation and the architecture being used, is that there could be a pre-screening requirement yeah. um, that every time you try to post something to Twitter or Facebook or YouTube, um, that there would there would have to be an extensive process to determine whether whatever you were posting was uh, infringing. Now I should note that YouTube already has a system that is somewhat similar to that uh, to uh, to this, or that works in a somewhat similar way that they have um, created uh, as a result of lots of litigation that they had with um, uh, the movie and 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 music industries, um, and so they already do some level of pre-screening. It's it you know I, it, there's a fair amount of dissatisfaction around it, but um, right. this would probably be much more extensive and much more rides, widespread and, and sort of uh, move into these other platforms that we have not at least until now really thought uh, were going to be subject to this sort of thing. Well, Stephen, the, the 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 side that I find really interesting revolves around the news industry and, and the reposting of stories or or video content. Uh, and I guess my biggest question is, is how do you go about the, the monitoring, policing or monetizing of that content, especially with some of it that you don't have to pay for in the first place? Right. So um, you're talking about the Article 15 of the directive, which is what's sometimes called the link tax, yeah. which is to um, to charge a certain amount of money for um, uh, for links by uh, as as posted by news aggregators. I, I think that is actually an easier piece to deal with, um, um, partly because the, the, um, uh, the news is, is, is um, 
is taken in, in, in snippets or, or pieces that are much more traceable to a certain number of content producers. Um, and we're going to see a little how, how this is playing out in Germany with the um, – uh, uh, and there are a number of countries which have created some version of this, and Germany is the most notable one in the EU directive provisions is, is based upon Germany's model. I think that that is easy to, to, to watch and to monitor and to, um, uh, to, to look at. Where there are two confusing pieces, though, which we don't know, which is – what does it? How big of a snippet does it have to be? Right. How much news can you take? You know, what what um, what's an insubstantial appropriation? To use the language of the of the directive, um, the other piece is what uh, what is allowed to private individuals in terms of hyperlinking? How do we distinguish between official news aggregators and private individuals? Private individuals under the new directive are allowed to hyperlink educational institutions. Can um, um, and for educational purposes, one can still still link. So that piece is going to be much more complicated. Again, this is directed towards large-scale aggregators, much yeah. like Article 17. The upload filter is directed towards large-scale platforms. So I don't think it's going to be that hard to implement. Um, it's going to be much more confusing around the edges. Paul? Yeah, I would agree with that. It, you know, so much of what we're talking about here is um, a, a level of uncertainty about what is is really the meaning of some of these um, uh, new provisions. I mean, the, the way that the the um, these European directives operate is that they then they sort of set forth a pretty broad statement of expected policies, and then the individual member states are. Um, expected to, you know, follow these policies and, and implement their own um, systems. In many cases, these may end up be looking, it may end up looking quite similar. But um, there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, debate, processing, thinking through exactly what to do. And I think that you know the the, the linking thing is going to be one of it. What does it mean? How many words can you put? How much description? Does that really mean that if I you know, uh, describe what I think of an interesting news article and post it on on my Twitter page. Do I have to, you know, do I have to pre-screen that? Do I have to pay a royalty for that? Does it matter? You know, one of the the interesting ambiguities is that there is an exception for individuals. Um, but at what point does an individual stop being an individual? Right? If I have you know fifty thousand um, uh, followers on Instagram. Uh, and I make money off of my Instagram account. Am I a you know a real individual actor, or am I doing that as a business? And should I pay the the royalties that a business would have to? All of these things are things that we don't know. And and I think a lot of the reason this is such a controversial directive is that this um, opens up an entire new avenue of of sort of regulation of the way that we interact with each other on the internet. That that really has um, a lot of people concerned. And, and uh, Stephen, as we've uh, mentioned with Polk before, this, I, I think, also plays off of uh, what we started to see when the implement, implementation of GDPR came mm-hmm. along as well, is that you have companies like Facebook, Google, YouTube, all of these big tech companies that at least right now, because of the new set of rules that are in place in Europe, in comparison to what we have here in the United States, they are having to make decisions about either having two sets of rules or they are leaning more towards the European rules because they know that they are they are more challenging, but they are stiffer rules in place. 
Right. We're looking at this at this period where um, where, where the usual rules of harmonization of making IP rules, you know, similar across the globe, is breaking down in a variety of different ways. Uh, we can see it with the um, you know sometimes in, in in the case of the EU setting a very different standard. It's been true when the EU has set a different standard for data protection, uh, for example, um, and companies have to scramble for that. It's also true when we create more um, exceptions, limitations, privacy controls, whistleblower provisions, things of that kind, like the new California um, uh, privacy uh, uh, rules for, um, uh, for Internet providers. And I think that, that this is really it, – it's going to be terribly hard for companies to know what to do. Um, they're going to have to establish best practices that are, that are going to have to meet you know, multiple, multiple legal requirements. And I think the time when we used to think that, you know, eventually our rules would harmonize across the globe, that, that, that period is ending. And now we're seeing blocks, harmonized blocks uh, 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 within the block, but then great disharmony uh, between blocks. But Polk, I mean, no surprise that, that all of these big tech companies are, are not happy with the potential of what they are looking at right now. But again, kind of as we had talked about, they are, they are kind of leaning into a new world right now because of, of the changes in law that Europe is making over the last couple of years. Yes, I agree. And I think that one of the, the things that can seem a little bit counterintuitive at the, at the outset um, here is that you know, what happens when these new regulatory regimes um, come into place, particularly ones that could be as onerous as this, is that, you know, the YouTubes and the Twitters and the Facebooks of the world, um, they're going to be okay. They're going to figure this out. I mean, yes, as, as we've discussed a lot uh, on your show, um, they're going to have a bunch of tough choices. They're going to have to lawyer up. They're going to have to think about this carefully. But, you know, they're perfectly capable of doing that. They have a very large legal staff. They have the resources to go out and, and hire more lawyers. They can figure this out. They can, you know, if they want to, they can, you know, branch their sites into different, if different mechanisms depending on where users are coming from. That is not easy at all for a much smaller organization. So let's take, for example, you know, I, I often read a, a website, a blog, basically on, on University of Michigan sports because I'm a Michigan sports fan. Is that sort of small, um, uh, you know, platform now going to be required to pre-screen all of the posts? Are they going to have yeah. to put in one of these very complicated and potentially expensive systems to, um, to enable, um, uh, the, you know, them, them to be compliant under, under EU uh, directives? That's the type of thing that's worried. And so in a counterintuitive way, although a lot of the impetus from the regulator's perspective is to try to, you know, force the YouTubes and the Facebooks and the Twitter of the world to pay more, to, um, uh, you know, give more money or to, to pay more respect to the content creators. The actual results of some of these changes is that it's just going to entrench the large internet company platforms that we already know, make them more powerful make it much harder for upstarts, for new companies to, um, to break in uh, because it's another layer of, of complexity, regulation, 
uncertainty that that anyone who wants to you know play in this space is going to have to figure out you're listening to knowledge of wharton here on sirius xm 132 business radio powered by the wharton school joined uh, on the phone by polk wagner uh, law professor here at the university of pennsylvania also by Stephen wilt who is a professor of global commerce at the university of connecticut law school again your comments welcome at 844 wharton 844-942-7866 or if you'd like send us a comment on twitter at biz radio b-i-z radio 132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So, Stephen, the, the role that the courts are going to be playing, at least in the short term, because of some of this uncertainty, I would think that, that, that the courts are still going to be uh, a, a significant player in this process. They're going to be immensely important. They're going to set the terms of, of what are those best practices that meet, that meet the standards as required by the EU directive. But I, I, I want to um, perhaps disagree slightly with what Polk just said, which is um, there, there is a provision, there is a part of Article 17, which, which takes into account three factors, um, uh, the size of the provider, um, the amount of the content that's uploaded, and the, um, the effectiveness of various technological measures. In other words, I think what we might see, this is, I, I don't know if Polk is right or I'm right about this, but the, um, what we might see actually is, is that the big uh, platforms, the YouTubes, et cetera, the Google, et cetera, that uh, will be will be hamstrung in terms of um, in terms of having to have very significant filters, while smaller platforms um, will be able to be much more flexible and nimble uh, because they won't be bound in quite the same way because they haven't met that size of the provider provision. Um, they want, the, the, the demands will be different for the big folks and the little folks. It might be analogous to the way that, that um, when we, as we regulated banks more and more, hedge funds were able to, um, to be much more nimble, flexible actors. We, we might just see that kind of pattern as well. It's not clear. Paul? Yeah, I agree with that. It, you know, we could end up with a, you know, a, a much more fractured system where there's different rules for different size and, and scale of organizations. But, you know, again, I think even in that scenario, which in some ways might be better, but it also might mean that, that uh, we, you know, we live in a, a far more regulatory complex um, world where you're never really sure exactly what rules may apply to you, and the rules that apply to you may change pretty dramatically um, as aspects of your business change or as you change business models or, or get into new um, new areas of content or whatnot. So I think that you know that a lot of the the concerns I have still hold, and it, I think there are ways to um, uh, you know to hopefully ameliorate this. Um, but I do think there are some concerns. But I do think at the same time, although I, there's a lot of I think justifiable concern, you know we are you know about a year after the the GDPR uh, went into effect, right. and. And for most users of the Internet, from what I can tell, um, there has not been a great degree of change. Um, most uh, platforms fairly seamlessly manage to, um, uh, you know, integrate compliance or at least, you know, good enough compliance into, into their regular uh, provisions. Um, so we haven't sort of seen some of the dire consequences and outcomes that that we were afraid of when, uh, as the GDPR uh, was about to come into effect. And so it could be that at the end of the day, in two years, we will, 
you know, come on your show again and say, huh, <laughs> that was interesting. Maybe not that big a deal. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, again, with so much of what we've been talking about today, we just don't know. And that's, yeah. you know, I think, uh, you know, the one thing we need to keep in mind is we, we're just not sure exactly how this is going to play out. And, and I guess, Stephen, from the same perspective, playing off of something Polk said a little bit ago, that you may have an idea of what all of these companies, all of these tech companies may have to do to be in compliance. But until we know for certain, uh, we're still kind of uh, sitting and wondering at this point. That's right. And, and, and I agree 100% with Paul. This is, you know, the Internet's a very forgiving technology. It's able to flexibly adapt in one way or another. Um, legal liability is less of a flexible technology. And I'm really, what really puzzles me here. Um, about the the liability that a, that a company might have in these kinds of circumstances, is that um, is, is that if they are in fact um, um, somehow assisting in infringement in a variety of different ways, um, in in one given case or two different cases as as seen by courts, then they're doing it thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times in a similar way in other cases. Are we going to have companies? That are not that are too big to be liable. In other words, are we going to have are we are we are we going to be able to have to back down from from the kind of liability we might want to to um, um, to um, to impose under certain circumstances because the ramifications would be too great. It, it, it's it's it really um, I'm not sure whether we are we are entering into a period where nothing will happen or a period where too much will happen and we'll have to back away from the too much happening. Paul? Yeah, I think, I mean, I would agree with that. I think we we are entering a new era. I think that what we are sort of seeing is that there continues to be um, a lot of um, debate um, about how to um, deal with some of these increasingly large Internet platforms. Um, and, and I think that that's, a, you know, that's a, probably a healthy thing. I think again, uh, we're seeing the the Europeans sort of take the lead and 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 thinking through these issues. And although they might not always be correct, and there's a lot of puzzling um, aspects to what they're doing here, it is the case that that you know if we're talking about regulation in the internet, we're really talking about Europe now, um, because the U.S. has really sort of stepped out of that um, out of that role. Uh, which I think is an interesting thing from a you know from a perspective of of American businesses, which is they are increasingly going to be um, thinking about regulatory regimes in terms of what the Europeans say um, as opposed to what the U.S. regulators say. Stephen, I've I've asked this of Polk before, and I'll, I'll ask you now. Uh, do you believe that? Because of the changes that have been made in Europe with GDPR and now uh, with with this that eventually at some point we are going to see more of the world of Internet and content around the globe relying on those rules and thinking about, you know, what we have and what we don't have here in the United States right now. Yes, I think that's exactly what Polk was saying, and I agree 100 percent. The the. Um, we, we, we haven't been stepping into the regulatory sphere in the way that we should. Um, and I, I think right now, just for the, away from copyright and trade secrets, at exactly the same time, um, there was a new EU directive in trade secret law, and there was a new um, um, uh, Federal Trade Secret Act. And the EU directive is just much more well-crafted. And to the extent that we um, 
that we want to um, to participate in the shaping of the the, the global di- digital ecosystem. We have to somehow come up with our own regulatory uh, um, apparatus that we would like to see created. And it's also been, I think, part of this too is, you know, in addition to to the fact that we're not we're, we're not doing that domestically in the U.S. I think we're also um, we've been withdrawing from from things like the Trans-Pacific Partnership. We've been withdrawing from other venues where international construction of of, of these rules is is is, is um, uh, in play. So, yes, I think we've we've created a gap, which is going to be now a gap which is going to be driven by Europe rather than by right. U.S. Great having you both with us. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Stephen. All the best to you both. Thank All you. right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Paul Wagner, law professor here at the University of Pennsylvania. Stephen Wilt, professor of global commerce at the University of Connecticut School of Law. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.